Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. Have we gotten to this point where people wake up every morning looking for something to be offended about? I live in this place called the real world, and I understand what is going to happen. Her story is, I was trying to scare him away. At the same time, she shot him point blank in the face. Okay, that's not exactly a warning shot. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 414-799-1620. Coming up next, Squirrel. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. I love that open. Okay, Gruel, here, here's the question. First of all, let me just start off. The pettiness and the mean-spiritedness uh, of some Milwaukee officials just never never ceases to amaze me. Now, Gru, here's the question to start off the program. Let us say that you have a lease. You're, you've signed a lease with your landlord, and you're paying $1,200 a month just for the sake of argument for your apartment. Okay, you with me on this one? $1,200 sure. a month. Okay. okay, all right. The landlord comes in and says two months or three months into your lease, says, Gru, but, well, here's the deal. Um, you know, I've got I've to put a new roof on the apartment building, and I've got some problems because I'm going through a divorce, and my soon-to-be ex-wife wants some more money, and I'm, I'm a little bit short. So what I want you to do is I want you to pay me $2,000 a month instead of the $1,200 a month. What is your response going to be? Uh, thanks, but no thanks. Thanks, but no thanks. A- absolutely, because you, you've got a lease. Now, your response might be, well, I, I'm sorry, we, we've, we've got a lease here, and the, the idea is that, all right, you know, when, when the lease comes up, you know, you, you can raise the rent to whatever you want, but while I've got this deal, I, I'm not paying you any more money. You could look at it on the flip side. Okay, I, I have a contract here at WTMJ. Imagine, I'm trying to imagine the look on... Mr. Carmazan, Mr. Wexler, and Mr. Lane's face, if three months after I had signed my last contract that says this is how much money we're going to pay you to do what you do, Jeff, if three months after I'd signed the contract, I had walked in and said, guys, you know, I've been thinking about this, and, and actually, I think I'd like an extra $20,000 a year. Yeah, I mean, I know I signed this contract, and we know I have this deal, and I know I'm tied up for X amount of time, but, you know, I, I'd like you to give me some more money. To which I, I know what that response would be, which would essentially be, Jeff, we, we love you, but you know, you, you sign this piece of paper, a deal is a deal, and, and this is what you are going to pay. All right, this is what is going on right now in the city of Milwaukee, and this, I think, kind of slimy attempt to force Summerfest. I, I sent out a tweet. You, if you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620. You know, you've heard of all the different kind of shaming we have. We have slut shaming. We have, um, you know, fat shaming. Well, this, this is salary shaming. Here's what is going on. Summerfest in 2009 signed a lease with the city of Milwaukee. It goes back to 2009. And it runs until 2030. So it is a 20-year lease. The lease contains in it the obligations that Summerfest has to the city of Milwaukee. Summerfest pays about $1.8 million a year to the city 
for the right to the, to those, those grounds. Okay, so it's 1.8 million. In addition, the agreement signed in 2009 says that in besides the, the rent that they have to pay, Summerfest is supposed to contribute to the cost of policing Summerfest, you know, while while it's going on. And apparently that amount is about $134,000. Now, that's on top of, of the rent that Summerfest pays. They contribute $134,000 to the overall cost of policing. And it's all in the contract that runs until 2030. Now, Tom Barrett, who always has his hand out, Tom Barrett and members of the Common Council have decided we don't think Summerfest is paying enough for its share of of the policing. And they say for the last couple years, the cost of having, you know, the police department there is about a little bit over $800,000. So they're, they're saying, all right, you know, Summerfest is only contributing 134000 It costs us 800000 We want Summerfest to pay, you know, an additional six hundred fifty grand. All right, now this would be on top of you know, the $1.8 million that Summerfest already pays for, for the lease. And so they, they want Summerfest to pay. Summerfest essentially has taken the position pound sand because you've got a contract. And just like if, you know, halfway through your lease, your landlord came to you and said, hey, I, I want I just want you to pay more. Let, let's, you know, give, give me an extra, you know, what whatever, $800 a month. Just like you're going to say no, Summerfest is saying we, we have a lease. You know, we, we pay you the $1.8 million. We pay you what we're contractually obligated to. We're not going to pay you anymore. Well, the city of Milwaukee, not apparently wanting to, you know, understand and, and it be, being very happy about ob- understanding their obligations contractually, what they have done is they have decided to, at least in my opinion, engage in what is called salary shaming. Friday afternoon, you perhaps saw the story in the local newspaper. Um, conveniently, this finds its way into the local media at the same time Barrett and the Common Council are trying to force Summerfest to pay more than it's contractually obligated to do. The headline is, Summerfest CEO Don Smiley's total payout nearly triples to $2.3 million in 2017. So now here's the deal. Don Smiley, who is the CEO of Summerfest, was hired in 2004. And what what happens, the way I understand his contract, he has a a yearly salary of several hundred grand. And built into that is what they call deferred compensation, which is, you know, earned bonuses and things like that that are payable if he's still here after, you know, every four or five years. In 2017, that was one of these years where a bunch of this deferred compensation came due. And in 2017, he got $2.3 million, which is a lot of money, but it's what was agreed to when he was hired in 2004. His compensation in 2018 was about a third of that because he, he didn't he didn't have all this accumulated comp, uh, compensation, but he still made over $700,000. So he's he's very, very well paid. Don't get me wrong, but but he has a contract with Summerfest. The people that brought him in back in 2004 had done a nationwide search. 
They decided that Don Smiley was the guy they wanted. He has been here for a long time. If you look at the Summerfest grounds and all the physical improvements that have been made, it's really incredible. I say this every year when we go to Summerfest to start our broadcasts. It's amazing, you know, what has happened over the last 10 or 11 years. And I candidly believe that, you know, attendance spikes notwithstanding, Summerfest is incredibly well positioned with its infrastructure to, you know, be here for the next 50 years, which is something that's great for the community. But what happens is because the city wants Summerfest to pay more money towards the cops, now they've decided to, uh, again, salary shame, smiley, in connection with some of their allies in the media. So the story comes out about how much Smiley made in 2017. Mayor Tom Barrett, you know, he's out there, and the mayor and members of the Common Council are talking about how they're just absolutely appalled that, you know, Don Smiley would be getting this kind of money, and how can he be being paid this much money when, you know, the the city of Milwaukee has to contribute and isn't getting fully reimbursed for the cost of cops. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And if you don't think these two stories are related, well, again, be careful when you're falling off the hay wagon so that you don't, you know, hurt your shoulder. But the idea is... We want Summerfest to pay more, so let's try to salary shame Don Smiley and the board into paying more. All right, here's the fundamental question. Summerfest has a contract with the city of Milwaukee that says you pay $1.8 million and you contribute $134,000 towards police contracts. Should they pay more? 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. You know, my answer is, just like if my landlord came to me and said, Jeff, you know, I want you to voluntarily pay, you know, $800 more a month on your lease, I would tell him to pound sand. To me, that is the only right response of Summerfest, unless... Unless the city of Milwaukee wants to come in and say, hey, look, let's we, we want to renegotiate the deal and, you know, we'll offer you an extension or something in exchange for you paying more. If, if that's the case, OK, maybe. But just the idea of Summerfest out of the goodness of its heart saying, all right, we're going to pay you an extra five or six hundred thousand dollars. I think they'd be nuts. What do you think? We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And whatever you think about Don Smiley's compensation, whether it's enough or not enough, and I don't think any of us are really in a position to know one way or the other, to me it has nothing at all to do with whether Summerfest should be shelling out more money to the city of Milwaukee that it is not contractually obligated to pay. Am I missing something? You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Here's a text. Jeff, what would you do if the company came to you and wanted to pay you less than your contract required? I would say, excuse me? <laughs> no, I mean, now, now, it's entirely possible that you might say, oh, okay, you want me to take a 10% pay cut because... You have- because uh, let's I mean our industry is doing very very well now but let's say 10 years ago when you're going through the recession somebody would have said we we want you to take less my response would be okay well all right if you want to reopen the contract negotiations I'll talk about it you know what what are you going to offer me are you going to you know extend the contract an extra couple years are you going to offer me more vacation I mean that that's always possible but simply to expect somebody to unilaterally 
give back or do something they're not obligated to do, I, I think is is ridiculous. Patty in Milwaukee. Patty, you're in WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Uh, long time no talk to. Uh, basically, my feeling is, is it'd be one thing if uh, somebody made this deal and then left office, but uh, Barrett was in place when the deal was made, and shame on him or whoever negotiated not to have some kind of cost-of-living adjustment for security. I mean, they know right. salaries increase, benefits increase. So bottom line, if they didn't uh, have some kind of uh, cost-of-living increase or something, right. I mean, they obviously were thinking in the future with these deferred bonuses, uh, they should have did the same with security. Well, well, right, exactly. And, and I mean, candidly, Patty, I don't know if they didn't. I mean, you know, I, I don't know if they didn't. Maybe, you know, this was all kind of considered when Summerfest agreed to pay the $1.8 million that it pays as part of the lease. I mean, but but yeah, if if this was an issue, it was an issue 10 years ago that some negotiator should have considered, you know, a, a periodic reassessment or or whatever. But to come back now and say, well, we expect you to just give us, you know, three quarters of a million dollars or a little bit less than that, I, I think is absurd. I agree with you, sir. Yeah, no, thanks for the call. And, and again, the, the, this idea that, OK, we're going to try to tie this into Don Smiley's compensation. It, it's just it's it's just offensive. I mean, and again, maybe I don't know what you have to pay to get somebody to, you know, I, I think Don Smiley has done a great job over the years in building the infrastructure, and you look at all the changes that have gone on at Summerfest, and they've pretty much all been for the good. I, I don't know what a top CEO is, is worth. I, I, I don't. But but that's, you know, I, but the newspaper doesn't know. The average citizen doesn't know. And Tom Barrett and members of the Common Council don't know. That's, you know, for Summerfest to decide. And the idea that, okay, X person makes this amount of money, that means, you know, we think that's too much, so you should give us more than you're contractually obligated to. I don't think so. Byron in West Allis. Byron, you're on WTMJ. Morning, Jeff. Yeah, I, I just think it's a two, two-edged sword. One, I think that Don Smiley's salary is irrelevant to the contract right. that he has with the police. And two, going forward, I mean, how many years back can they look at attendance? I'm assuming they have so many police officers for how many ever attendees you know, attend the fair uh, or the festival. So right. I don't understand how they can be that far off the mark with their budget and not renegotiate when the budget was up the last time around. Well, you know, the other interesting thing now that you bring that up is attendance at Summerfest ha- has been down. I mean, they, they still draw a lot of people. But remember, I mean, there were years when they were pull- regularly pulling in like a million and stuff. Now they're pulling in close to 700000 and yet the police costs have gone up, I assume, because the police make more money and you've got all those benefits. But th- this this was not an unforeseeable sort of development when you negotiated the deal. Correct. Right. I just think it was bad money management and budgeting on the, on the city's uh, end of it. Boy, what a surprise that is, huh? Right. right. <laughs> Thanks. Boy, you said a mouthful there. Gee, the city of Milwaukee, bad money management and budgeting. Boy, that's... Boy, that's something that would really be a surprise. Hey, did you see those trolleys running with no people on them? 414-799-1620. Jim in Bayview. Jim, you're on WTMJ. Hi. Uh, well, you know, since there is a contract, I believe you have to honor contracts. But if I was the mayor and I was the police department, I would tell Summerfest and Smiley, you know, you can hire your own security outfit. Uh, we're not showing up down there, and we're not protecting the place. 
You know? Well, but they have a contractual obligation to provide security for there. They can't just walk away. I mean, they, that's part of their contract. The contract says they have to provide security for Summerfest. And not security. I mean, I'm talking about law enforcement. Summerfest does have its own security staff that's there. These are, these are the cops that make the arrests. Yeah, well, they are definitely getting way underpaid for an 11-day event. But, uh, you know, I do agree that, you know, if a contract's a contract, but uh, the police department, they are getting totally ripped off well, I mean, thank, wise Well, I mean, thanks. It's, it's not the police department that's getting ripped off. I mean, it's the, the cops that are getting it, – it, I mean, the cops get paid for doing what they're doing. It's just that the city of Milwaukee has to assume these costs. But – but I guess I, I kind of look at this. The other thing and say is Summerfest is a wonderful community event. And, and let's I mean, let's just kind of think about this. I mean, would this community be better off if Summerfest weren't there? And I don't think anybody would make that particular argument. Summerfest brings in and, and you know, you, we, we hear the numbers and, you know, it brings in hundreds of thousands of people or at least tens of thousands of people from out of the area. It brings in millions of dollars to the, the area. I mean, Summerfest is, is a huge contributor and an economic driving factor. Plus, you've got the other stuff on the ground. So, I, I mean, you, 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 you know, you can argue, I mean, Milwaukee is always talking about all the, these other attendant benefits that they get from all these different types of events and things like that. I, I mean, can you imagine Milwaukee without Summerfest? And I think you could make a strong argument that, you know, maybe that's that there even shouldn't even be an obligation for Summerfest to pay for, you know, the law enforcement. But it's a sharing thing. They share it. They pay $1.8 million, And you can argue that it's a good deal or a bad deal. And, you know, I, I don't remember the conversation in 2009. I don't remember too many people arguing that it was a bad deal. What I seem to remember is everybody saying we consider Summerfest to be a national to be an area treasure and we want to do everything that we possibly can to make sure that it grows and it thrives and it survives and that's been exactly what the case is but you know, regardless of how you feel about this, the idea that Summerfest should, out of its goodness of its heart, simply start you know shelling out half a million or three quarters of a million dollars more. Uh uh-uh. Now, if the city wants to say, you know, we, we want to talk about extending the lease and we want to give you a deal for this moving forward. OK, maybe that's a different discussion, but that's not what's going on right now. Right now, it's just give us money. And by the way, you know, we're going to salary shame Don Smiley until you do. Give me a break. This is Jeff Wagner. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Good day for Wisconsin sports fans. Actually, a pretty good weekend, I guess, for Wisconsin sports fans. The Badgers beat Iowa, hold on to beat Iowa by two points. Packers hold on to beat Carolina by eight points, including an absolutely outstanding goal line stand. Brew, did you watch that game? Oh yeah. Did you think he was? Yeah, gonna, it, did you, did you think he awesome. was getting in on that last play? Do you think he got in? Do you think that? Do you think he got into the end zone? No, no. I don't either. I think that. But did you? Okay, when you saw the play develop and they gave the guy the ball did you think he was going to score i wasn't surprised by them running the ball with mccaffrey and usually he gets right like yeah. almost four yards every time so I, I was i was surprised yeah no i i do too i mean it's great great goal line stand again and of course the 
I mean, you got a rookie quarterback that drives the length of the field, but I'm, I'm going to be the glasses half full guy. You know, when when they really had to make the play, they they made the play after two dumb offsides penalties going down the field. But end of the day, they win. Yeah, eight and two going into the bye. And, and then, like I say, we had my um, we had my um, my my in laws. I guess not in laws. My my wife's sisters all came over because one of this was sort of a Christmas party she she has um a number of sisters and we had five uh, we had five of them over including fran with their husbands and stuff for dinner because one sister maggie is going to she's got a house in bonaire and they're going to bonaire for christmas so it's kind of our christmas thing so we were, we were all watching the packers game it was great and then then the packers game ends i turned on the bucks game and the bucks game the bucks held on to beat uh the thunder finishing a tough road trip three and one just a very very good weekend for wisconsin sports teams no way around it no way around it all right this week the supreme court is going to be hearing a case involving the the Trump administration's efforts to roll back the the uh, DACA, you know, which is the the Dreamers, and the the argument that the Trump administration makes is that President Obama, when he started this program, didn't have the authority to do it. That this is something that Congress should have done, so that Obama did it. Trump says, well, if, if this is created by an executive order, I should be able to roll it back. And, and actually, from a legal perspective, and who knows what the Supreme Court is going to do, I, I think the argument is pretty compelling. That this, this whole Dreamers program, like I say, it was an executive order created by President Obama. And if, it would seem to me, at least intellectually, that if one president has the ability to create something by executive order, then the next president has the ability to rescind that executive order. And if Congress wants to do something about it, Congress should should pass a law. So at least my my gut reaction is, I I think, and federal courts so far have not ruled in favor of the Trump administration, but the Supreme Court says they're going to hear the case. And I would not be surprised if the Supreme Court agrees with the Trump administration that it has the power to roll this back. All right, so that's the legal conversation about it. I want to talk about what should happen here. For those who haven't been been following this, what what happens is that the whole thing with Dreamers, the, the DACA program, DACA stands for Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals. And what this says, if you come in, you can show that, first of all, you arrived in the United States before you were 16 um, and were no older than 30. So it's for people who were here before 16 but now aren't over the age of 30. You've lived in the United States for at least the previous five years. You were a high school graduate or a veteran, and you had committed no serious crimes. All right? You could stay in this country two years at a time. The status, the DACA, the dreamer status, lasts for two years. It allows people to work legally. It is renewable, but it doesn't provide a path to citizenship. So what this is directed at doing is the people who mom and dad come into the country illegally. Mom and dad stay in the country illegally, and they bring small children with them. The kids grow up in this country. They go to high school. They go to work, but they don't have legal status. 
This would allow, that's what the Dreamers Act does, it allows kids to those people that fit into that category to stay in this country as long as they don't create problems. You know, if you commit a crime, boom, you're, you're going to be gone. It also doesn't give you a path to citizenship, but it does give you a path to residency, uh, you know, not permanent residency, because you have to renew this two years at a time. The Supreme Court, like I say, is going to decide whether President Trump has the ability to roll that law back. Okay, I, I think they're probably going to side with him. That's my initial reaction to this. But I want to talk about the overall policy. What about the, this dreamers, this dreamers rule? Is this something that makes sense? If you've got kids that come into this country, their parents come in illegally, but essentially they have grown up as Americans. They've gone to high school. They've graduated from high school. They're working. They're not causing problems. If they register, should they be allowed to stay? Our number, 414-799-1620. That's the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, this might surprise some of you because I, I do understand the argument about what part of illegal don't you understand. At the same time, given the real problems that exist with illegal immigration, to me, focusing on the seven or 800,000 people who are covered under this is candidly a waste of resources. And, I mean, I would much rather see us concentrating our limited resources when it comes to immigration on the people that are causing the problems, the criminal element, etc., as opposed to concentrating on some kid that came in when, you know, he or she was eight years old and has grown up in the United States and is now working productively. Candidly, I, I think that this should be low on the totem pole when it comes to enforcement, and I'd rather see us spend our resources elsewhere. I don't have a problem right now with letting the dreamers stay. 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. What do you think? We discuss in just a moment. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Jeff, this is a text to me. They are essentially the same as legal immigrants. Uh, we're talking about the Dreamers, seven eight hundred thousand people in regards to their contributions to the U.S. and self sufficiency. To deport them from the only homeland they have known seems like a losing proposition. Now, again, I I understand the legal issue. That the legal issue is that present Congress would not enact this as a law. President Obama did this as an executive order and some people don't think he had the authority to do it but that aside if obama created this program as an executive order shouldn't trump have the right to rescind the executive order and and candidly i find that to be a pretty compelling legal argument but that's that's the legal argument that's not saying you know what what should we do with 7 or 800,000 people who came into this country as young people brought in by their parents illegally but they, they were they were young people, and they've gone through high school. They are now living here. They are not creating problems. Are these the people that we want to spend time deporting? Vincent on the northwest side. Vincent, you're first. Hello. Uh, good afternoon, Jeff. Hi. Uh, first of all, if, if the Supreme Court knocks DACA down, 
or, 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 or says that the uh, president has the right to do that. The fact is, we're not going to we're not going to deport that many people. It's just not going to happen. Well, you wouldn't think we would deport that many of those type of people again. <laughs> and I, you know, yeah. I mean, I, if I were prioritizing, I got to tell you that the people that have registered under this circumstance, they, they would they would be the last number of people that I would want to deport. There's got to be a lot more people who are in this country illegally that are creating problems than the dreamers. And the fact is that they are an important part of this economy. The fact is these are doctors, lawyers, police officers. The fact is that, that the fact veterans. That, and veterans, exactly, that would be basically uh, uh, automatically uh, looked at as illegal. The fact is you have them documented. The fact these individuals are documented, they're paying taxes and, and, yep. and that sort. And now you're going to put this, you're going to basically put people, uh, allow them to say, well, hey, they're going to go underground. That's exactly what's going to happen. And you, and, and, you, and the fact is, this country is not uh, in the mood to sit around and go up to, the fact is, the Gang of Eight plan, I think they should have passed as, as far as immigration is concerned. Mm-hmm. And I don't think uh, President Obama wouldn't have, wouldn't have did this. But the right. fact is, we're here. I think it should stand. And because we're an atrocity, atrocity if they go out, if they uh, do this. Yeah, I, again, again, and, and that's the, and that's the, the policy of this. And again, I, I appreciate the the legal argument putting on my you know recovering lawyer hat i i understand the argument the argument is President Obama didn't have the authority to do this after Congress said, no, you shouldn't be able to do this by an executive order. I am sympathetic to that. I, I, I am. And it also seems to me that if you create it by an executive order, you should be able to get rid of it by an executive order. But that's not to say whether the policy is good or bad. Jeff, I agree with you. Prioritize resources by removing the criminal elements, then focus on obtaining legal citizenship the right way. Jeff, I would let them stay another text. All also, with the caveat that they can demonstrate that they also have health insurance, but at the same time, I would also put in a stop to let them attend public school, get driver's licenses, etc. Now, keep in mind, most of these people who are registered as dreamers. They're they're out of they're they're out of school. I mean, this is their. They, they've been here for a period of time. They're out of school. They're serving in a productive capacity. Um, and again, I also appreciate the fact that. You know, we, we don't want this to look like amnesty. I mean, you know, President Trump, from what I understand, was was ready to just sign off on this. And then a number of advisors said, well, OK, you got to understand this is going to alienate your base. People are going to consider this to be amnesty. And, and so they he decided to go the other way. I, I just I, I appreciate we have a problem with the border. We have a problem with illegal immigration. These 700,000 people, though, aren't the ones that I am particularly concerned with. 414-799-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. Um, Jeff, so to me, they are essentially the same as legal immigrants in regards to their contributions to the U.S. and self-sufficiency. To deport them from the only homeland they have known seems to me like a losing proposition. I I guess I, I would say that as well. Take off the recovering lawyer hat. Try to put on the good public policy hat, and, and you get a different result. Now, like I say, who knows what the Supreme Court's going to do? That this might be a victory for the Trump administration, saying illegally you can do it. But even if that's the case, I hope somebody reconsiders whether this is where we want to spend our resources. Just saying. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 
Eric Bilstadt, did you grow when you were growing up? Did, did everybody have a cell phone? Or do you? Are, no, are you, no, no, no. Okay, so you're you I are pre cell phone old enough to remember where you know landlines oh, and yeah. pay phones and all that sort oh, of stuff. Yeah. Remember the movie Wall Street with Michael Douglas and um, a, a young Charlie Sheen? And, and there's a scene in Wall Street where the the Gordon Gecko character, the the super rich evil you know financier played by Michael Douglas, he's standing on this beach. And he he's it's a he's making a phone call and he's got one of those those old brick cell phones <laughs> yeah, you know the, the thing that you know you, you're holding your whole hand and yeah. he's talking about that and that was that was like the coolest thing in the world I mean he's got this cell phone yeah. remember that? so <laughs> it, it's and now of course I bring this up because everybody has has a a cell phone they mm-hmm. are just. What's the ubiquitous? I mean, and it's and and the cell phones. People don't need cameras anymore because they've got the cameras in them. And you know, your personal cell phone now has a computer in it that is probably much more powerful than you know most of the computers that you know when we were growing up that you would oh, have for sure absolutely or or what computer was used to get someone to the moon <laughs> right right now <laughs> that's what we're carrying now in our pocket now I bring this up because there was a time. 20, 30 years ago, I, I don't think anybody really thought that you would see the, the cell phone phenomena become what it was now. I mean, this idea that, because it's not, I mean, people who have cell phones, it, yes, you use it to make calls, but that's, let, let's face it, that's just a really, really tiny right. part now. Now you use it as like a, essentially a handheld computer. I don't think we would have ever seen that, but but it took off, and now everybody has to have one. And so now the question becomes, what is going to be the next big thing? You know, will there be another big thing, right? Oh, sure. Okay. Okay. Are you, are you suggesting, do you have one? Do you well, have one? I, I'm suggesting what um, I know, what Microsoft, Facebook, Google, Apple, and Amazon are all working on that they think will be the next big thing. Okay. Glasses. Gla- See, I thought they tried that already. Well, Didn't that's Google it. Glass try to do There that? is a, right now... The, the idea, and, and they don't have the technology yet, but they are all working hard to replace iPhones with smart glasses that you would wear everywhere. I, I, I'm, I'm looking at these stories. They think this is going to be the next big trend in technology. And so what would happen is these, these smart glasses would, instead of pulling a phone out of your pocket, um, or all you have to do is simply like speak to mm-hmm. this. Oh, it, would, yeah. it would all be yeah. that voice technology, and you would see it in like a corner of your glasses. So I am a hundred percent all in on that. Five years ago, I I said the same thing on this very radio station that this was going to happen, and then someone got Google glasses. And that became a thing, and I actually had them. Someone brought them in, so we we tried them, right? And then all of a sudden, never heard about them again. Like, well, they, I don't know if they were too expensive. Well, or I mean, because right now most of these headsets that, that that they've developed so far, they're too big, they're too expensive, they're weird looking, you know, yeah. so they don't make sense for people. 
but that's I'm looking at this story about how th- this is the number one priority of all these different companies trying to find these augmented reality things. Mm-hmm. So so you don't and the idea being okay you, you're never gonna you're never gonna forget your phone again. You know I mean you know you 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 don't have to have your phone with you. You right. know you don't have to have your your you know your smartwatch with you. It's just your glasses and maybe. Maybe it's like prescription glasses, or maybe it's just like regular glasses yeah, right, that, sure. that have this stuff in there, and you can do it. And you can post onto Facebook just by blinking your eyes. Well, right, or or giving. I mean, it's all the audio instructions. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's completely hand free. You know, you're doing that. All right, I, I want to do this for one segment. Our number is four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, don't poo poo this because seriously, if we were having this conversation. At, at some point in time, 20, 25 years ago, and, and you said to everybody, hey, there's one day that you're going to be walking around with, in the palm of your hand, you're going to be holding your phone. But it's not really just your phone. It, it's essentially, it's going to replace every computer you have, and you will be able to do everything with it, and you're going to be able to do it a lot faster. People would have rolled their eyes and said, no, it, it's not going to happen. A lot of people think that this is the next big thing, these these glasses which will essentially duplicate and replace your cell phones. 414-799-1620. That is the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, is this going to be the next big thing? Is this something that you, you know, would be interested in if they could get the technology to an affordable price? That's always, you know, one of the, the huge elements. People aren't going to, you know, if it's going to cost you $50,000, you're not going to do it. But if you could figure out how to make this affordable, is this something that you would be interested in? And, of course, the other thing, it, I mean, I, I think, you know, right now when you look at that virtual reality, those giant glasses, okay, well, th- that's weird. But if they could figure out a way to do this in your regular size, stylish eyeglasses, is this the thing that everybody's going to be walking around doing soon? 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And I, I'm telling you, I... If you're going to poo-poo this, I, I think you better be careful because I think this is what people are looking for. And I would not be surprised if I don't know what the timeline is. It, generally speaking, these things happen faster than you think. But I wouldn't be surprised if five years from now or certainly ten years from now, the, these things like cell phones, people will be looking at those going, what were these cell phone things that everybody carried around? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, will this be the next big thing? Or is this just, hey, Jeff, this is just too weird. People aren't going to go down that route. Let's start with Steve in Wauwatosa. Hi, Steve. Hi, great show. Thank you. I was uh, I was telling Gru, we were using this technology back in 1998. Uh, the airlines were using it for their mechanics and their uh, service people while they were working in tight places like uh, – in, in aircraft where they needed both hands free, but they needed to be able to access schematics and information. Okay. They could, uh, the lens had a, uh, was a, an inch and a quarter, but it had the equivalency projection of a 15 inch monitor. Okay. At 21 inches from your face. So imagine if you're in production or imagine if you're uh, a housewife or, a, or an individual who's running a little cooking business from their home. They need both hands free but they need to look up recipes, ingredients, and other information. They were able to do that, and just by looking slightly in your peripheral vision, just like we do in our dashboards now, they would be able to see a recipe 
and still have full use of their peripheral vision and their, their regular vision. Okay. Um, it, the technology is not new as far as bringing it to market. They tried to bring it to market, and they decided that they could make a lot more money doing a lot more stages of it mm-hmm. before they got to this point because people that use it miss it terribly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so, this caller included. Yeah, so at, so at some point in time, you know, once it gets affordable, and, and again, whether it's five years from now or ten years from now or whatever, but you think this is, is going to happen someday? Oh, it absolutely is. And, and I would compare it with going back to televisions without remote control. And it's huh. not a joke. If you had to get up off the chair, oh, yeah. change the channel, it, and it's different now. People have in-screen oh, yeah. televisions, and once you've had one of those, you know, you miss that, too. It's like, you know, I don't mind watching that thing on the side. Yeah, Steve, this, I, this I am old enough. It's just intimidating. Yeah, I, I mean, I am old enough, to your point, I'm old enough to remember when if you wanted to change the channels, and, and there were only like five or six different channels you could change to, you had to get your butt up off the couch, actually walk over and turn the dial. Well, yeah. and, and equivalent balance that over to uh, the uh, being able to chirp in and out of your car or being able to start your car remotely. Um, those simple things, the garage door opener. Right. And these are things that maybe these other younger people can relate to. There was a time where somebody had to get out of the car and open the garage <laughs> door in the rain. Right. Or, or the snow. Close the garage door. Right. Yeah. Now, thanks to the call. 414-799-1620. Okay, we continue this conversation. This, I, I'm just looking at the story. I, you always try to figure out what the next big thing is. And number of people say it, it's going to be smart glasses and we're not going to have phones anymore. It's all going to be in the glasses that we wear. Is this pie in the sky? We discuss in just a moment. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. This may very well be the next big thing. All, all I can tell you is that, that this, this is apparently what's going on at, at Google and at Apple and at Amazon and all the, these other places. They're trying to, Microsoft, they're trying to develop, instead of having to have a phone, you would now wear glasses. And the glasses would take the place of your smartphones. Sounds kind of like Buck Rogers for people who remember the Buck Rogers reference, but um, could it be? Let's talk to Mike on the South Side. Hi, Mike. You're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. Great, great, great uh, subject Thanks. matter. I love it. Thank you. Um, as far as nano technology is concerned, um, I come from your era. I mean, I remember my grandma literally having an ice box. <laughs> Right. right. I know I'm dating myself. Right. Wait, but for, for your reference is where people would bring a box block of ice and she would put it in the the box and that would that would be the refrigeration. And three channels to boot right on TV. Right. <laughs> yeah. Not including the uh, you had the UHF and the VHF. Right. Sure. Yeah. So exponentially since 1947 in the Vietnam War technology is supposed to have doubled every six months from that era opposed to Arizona. So if you look at, if you compare every generation, which is 20 years, and I've lived well over three, so mm-hmm. I'm over well over 60 here, um, it doesn't surprise me anything because the, the, the government is 50 to 100 years ahead as far as practical technology, everyday technology, and also uh, government secrets. So doesn't surprise me at all. It's just that they have to mass produce and make it affordable for just about everybody. So right. it does not surprise me because human Einstein said human imagination is greater than knowledge. So <laughs> if you can conceive and believe and achieve it, so be it. So yeah. basically, in a nutshell, 
if it if it's mass produced and it's right. affordable for everybody, then that's practical. No, and I and I'm with you. Thanks. And again, I don't know how far away we are for this, but and I understand some people. I'm getting some texts from people saying, "Well, no, I you know I, I don't wear glasses. I wouldn't want that." I you know, and I, the way I understand this is there'd be prescription or there'd be non-prescription. It would just be you, you'd have this in in a corner now. It seems to me it would take a little bit of getting used to, and maybe it would be a bit distracting. But at the same time, all right, then you don't have to carry anything around. Now you're just you're wearing these on on your face. Let's talk to Mike in Madison. Mike here on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Yeah. So your callers, your listeners may not like to hear this, but huh? there's a group called Singularity University, and they've been studying this for a while, and they actually believe that in our lifetime, people will choose to implant a chip into their mind. So these glasses, to me, are just a test run for that, if they're right. And the reason people choose to do this is because they'll become functionally obsolete if they don't. So I think these glasses are definitely coming, but I think they're going to be here and then there quickly so that we can eventually figure out how do you implant these things into people's minds. Well, you know, to your point about to your point about the chips, remember a couple of years ago, or maybe not quite that long ago, there was a story about the, the employees who would get chips yeah. so that they, they didn't have to, I mean, I'm, I'm wearing like a badge that I have to show that opens up the doors around here. Yeah. Um, you remember these people would sign up for the chips that, you that know, would open the doors? Too. I think that was a yeah. Wisconsin company. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, and I guess I, I hear that and I'm thinking, I'm not letting them put a chip in, but at the same time, the vast Majority's employees said, "Yeah, we'll we'll go ahead and do it, so we don't have to lug these things around, these badges well, you, and stuff you'll, around." You'll do it because you won't. You'll as a, as a professional or an employee, you'll fall behind because your recall won't be able to keep up with the people that have implanted this stuff in their head. As creepy as it sounds, like I don't like it either. But right. after it was proposed to me in that context, I thought, "Yeah, I mean, your businesses are going to only they're going to require you to have this stuff in your head." I mean, it is. It is creepy. <laughs> it, is, it, it is. I guess I'm, I, I'm okay with the glasses if it makes it more convenient. The chip in my head, i gotta, I got to think yeah. about a little bit. Yeah. No, 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 thanks for calling. But, I mean, it is. Look, this is, this is kind of the future. So, you know, talk about this over the dinner table tonight. That, that guy on the radio, he was saying, you know, that the next big thing. And for people who think it's kind of pie in the sky, like I say, seriously, if you are over a certain age, that the idea that you could walk around with, with essentially your computer held in your hand, you know, and do all the things on your smartphone that you could do on your laptop or your desktop on your giant computer. I mean, I can remember when when I was in college, and again, I'm not trying to date myself too much, but I can remember business classes where you, you'd have to actually go into the computer lab and you'd have to, like, take these punch cards and you'd have to type this stuff in, and then you fed them, you know, into the computer, and then it spit out these results. It's just been amazing how technology has developed over the course of the last few decades. And for people who think, well, we'll, we'll never have smart glasses replacing smartphones, I wouldn't bet on it. This is Jeff Wagner. Back for more, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. I am not against people making money. Matter of fact, I think making money is a really, really good thing. And I think if you have employers that want to give you raises, I think that that's a great thing as well. However, that said, I, I think that people should be paid what a particular job is worth. Well, how, how do you decide 
what a particular job is worth. Well, it's it's easy. We, at least until Elizabeth Warren or Bernie Sanders get elected president, you know, we, we live in a, a country where you have these notions of supply and demand. And uh, in a free market, uh, that's that's how you determine somebody's worth. How much does, for an example, an employer have to pay to get somebody to show up and do the job? All right, that, that's that's it. And if the employer pays too little, well, all right, people aren't going to take the job. I, I have a friend who owns um, a number of fast food restaurants, and he's always amused to an extent when we hear this conversation about, oh, you got to raise the minimum wage, and it's been stuck at 7 or $8 an hour for forever. And he'll always say, we, you know, we haven't paid 7 or $8 an hour for years and years. Why? Because we can't find anybody to work and to show up at seven or eight dollars an hour. I mean, they have to pay a market price. You know, they have to figure out, okay, in a given area to get people to show up and man the drive through or to flip burgers or whatever, you know, they're, it's a competitive sort of thing. How much do they have to pay to get people to show up, do the job, and then the big thing is come back the next day and the day after that? But it's not minimum wage. It's a market-based thing. You don't have the government coming in and telling you, gee, you've got to pay 20 or $25 an hour. You, you figure it out. How much do we have to pay to get quality people to do the job? All right, with that background, Tony Evers has just announced that what he wants to do is he wants to raise the minimum wage to be paid to all state employees and all UW system employees to $15 an hour. Now, apparently, the way I understand this, you don't need legislative approval to do this at the University of Wisconsin. The, the UW system can simply say, we are going to raise everybody's salary. So people that, and this is supposed to go into effect by next year, people that are making $13 an hour, they will now have their ceiling raised to, to 15 bucks an hour. That's what it's going to be. Um, if you, all other employees are going to get 2% raises this year and 2% raises next year. And there, there's nothing apparently anybody can do to stop that. In addition, what Evers wants to do is he wants to raise the minimum wage for all other state employees to $15 an hour over the course of like the next year and a half on top of the, the 2% raises that other people are going to get. And the argument that I hear is it's necessary to do this in order to make sure that you have, I don't know, high quality in people. For example, the, the University of Wisconsin, this is what the chancellor says. The increase in our minimum wage is a key part of our strategy for helping the university recruit and retain high quality workers. Employees who will benefit from this increase make important contributions to our teaching, research, and outrage, outreach missions. Okay, well, the, the people that are, and I, I'm not, I am not dismissing the value of this work, but the people who, for example, at the university, are going to get most of the benefit are people who work in food service positions, animal care, and custodial people. I mean, I, how that ties in with, gee, we're, we're trying to make important contributions to teaching, research, and outreach missions when you're paying the janitors a couple dollars more an hour is a little bit beyond me. 
but I, I, I don't want to step on a big soundbite. In any event, the University of Wisconsin the, was apparently able to do this on their own with the blessing of the governor. The legislature, or at least the legislative committee, has to sign off on making this uh, a benefit for all state employees. The cost of all this estimated to be $84 million over two years. What they say is that the taxpayers will be eating about $40 million of it, and they're hoping for federal aid and grants to pay for the rest. But let's tee this up. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. Mandatory $15 an hour minimum wage for all state employees. Good thing, bad thing. And again, I'm not against people making money. My question is, if on the free market, a job is worth $12 or $12.50, meaning you can get qualified people to show up and, you know, to, to empty the trash cans for, you know, twelve fifty an hour, should we be paying 15 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. My response would be, you know, we still have a free market, don't we? And if the job is worth $15 an hour, you pay people $15 an hour. On the other hand, if the job is worth 13 and we're talking about taxpayer money, why wouldn't we pay 13 We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Now, don't get me wrong. I, I'm, I'm not complaining about 2% raises next year and the year after that. But the dramatic part of what the governor wants to do is guarantee all state employees a minimum wage of $15 an hour. This would be all full-time employees who, by the way, I, I think in almost every situation are, are also going to be getting all the benefit packages that we give to government employees. I, I, I'm not against people making money, and I think you have to pay what you have to pay to get quality people. But if you can get people to do a job for $12 an hour on the free market with all the other benefits you get, why would the taxpayers be required to shell out another 3 bucks? 414-799-1620. Jeff, $15 an hour for state employees. Does that mean the work will finally get done without the loafers we have now? Now, see, I'm not going to, I'm not going off on state employees. Or are they just going to get more for doing nothing? Well, I mean, they're, they're going to get more for doing the same thing that they do, um, you know, right now. Jeff, more nonsense, and I suspect being driven by the unions. What they don't seem to understand is that raising the salary of the least skilled workers or the easiest jobs will raise the salaries of everyone else along with prices and that the people on the bottom now are still going to be at the bottom. It accomplishes nothing except perhaps those living on a fixed income like Social Security who will have to pay for it. Um, Yeah, Jeff, leave it to the politicians who never ran a business to reliably wade in and fool with the free market in the interest of pandering for votes. Yeah, I see that's that's what what is going on here. And again, I, I understand if you want to come out and you want to say, well, I, I just don't think we need to guarantee a $15 an hour minimum wage. You know, then, then you're this evil. Per- well, how how can you deny people that are working, you know, that the, the ability to have this sort of wage to which I say, well, look, if. Fill in the blank on the job, and I do not mean to demean a food service job. I don't mean to demean a, a janitor, a custodial job, or, or whatever. It's good, honest work. But 
this idea that we're going to arbitrarily pay for things and, and set a value on this beyond what the free market value is, I, I think is an extravagance. And I think it's unfair to the taxpayers who end up having to pick up the tab. And this isn't saying that, I, again, if you want to give state workers, if say state workers haven't had a raise in a while or whatever, and you want to give them a 2% raise this year and next year, I, I understand. I think people, you work at a job, I think you should be entitled to a raise here and there. I'm not objecting to that. But but this is more than just like a 2% raise. Let's talk to Rich in Wal- Waukesha. Rich, you're on WTMJ. Good morning. Hi, Rich. Um, or afternoon, I'm sorry. Um, one of the things I wanted to point out is, for example, caregivers that are taking care of Medicaid and Medicare patients okay. in home care, for example, there are thousands of them. They are right now, um, they are actually state employees, mm-hmm. okay, uh, because they're paid for by those those patients. There is a drastic shortage because the... Um, the wages that they're at are in the range of nine, ten dollars an hour, eleven, eleven dollars an hour for uh, CNAs, certified nursing assistants, mm-hmm. and that's that's literally the working poor. What ends up happening is, even for experienced caregivers, they end up working seventy hours a week for a supportive home care agency just to get to twelve dollars and two cents an hour. Mm-hmm. See, and here, here is what I see, and here, here's what I would say, no, Rich, but here's what I would say to you. Are taking care of the caregivers? Okay, well, here's what I would say to you. Rather than if if you have, and this comes up with, for example, prison guards. By the way, a burnout is a big problem. Right, I I get that, but here, okay, Rich, here's here's what I would say to you. If and this comes up with the area of prison guards as well, and it's how I started. This was in a free market economy. What you do is is you have to pay people enough to get quality people to do to do the jobs. And, and like I say, you see this with prison guards. You know, state prison guards. Um, you know, I think the starting salary was like sixteen bucks an hour, and they they have a huge shortage. They can't get enough people to do it. So if you want to say. Look, we're going to, we've got a huge problem with prison guards or with care workers, right? We're not able to get enough people to do this. There's these huge backlogs or whatever, and our reimbursement rates, what we're paying is too low. All right, that's fine. Then you say, okay, for, for prison guards or for the care workers, you know, we've got this extreme shortage, and if we're paying them 10 bucks an hour, that's not enough. So let, let's let's make it 12 bucks an hour. Let's make it 15 bucks an hour. I'm more than willing to have that conversation because that goes back to the whole free market thing that I've been talking about, about trying to figure out, okay, what do you have to pay to get quality people to do the job? That, though, is different than saying, all right, we're going to pay everybody $15 an hour across the board regardless of, of what you're doing. If you've got a shortage of the care workers – and you believe that that's tied into insufficient salaries? Go with God. All right, then. Then say, look, let, let we got to pay people more to get people in this in this job. Understood. That that's that's all well and good, and I don't oppose that. You got to pay more to be a prison guard. Don't oppose that. But that that's not what's going on here. This is like an across the board. We're going to treat the okay. In your example, we're going to treat the caregivers 
who for whom there is a shortage of and they're not making enough money, we're going to treat them the same way as we treat somebody else who's working in a job that, okay, is arguably less stressful, less important, less difficult, and we're going to raise them all up to 15 bucks an hour. You know, that's that's my issue. Okay, here's a text. Jeff, what's wrong with giving people a little more money in their pocket? Sure, you could get someone to do those jobs for $12 an hour, but wouldn't it be better for the economy if those people had more cash to spend and not just living at the bottom of the barrel? All right, let, let's, and maybe this is just, this fundamental view of mine that's going to be coming out over the course of the next year in the election thing. What's wrong with giving people a little more money in their pocket? Okay, there's nothing wrong with people having a little more money in their pocket. But answer me this question. Where is that money coming from that you are giving to somebody to put in their pocket? And the answer is it's coming from somebody else. There, there isn't like this giant money tree, this free money tree that you go out and, and you shake and it drops. Okay, so this this is 40 million bucks. Now, not all of that is in raising the minimum wage. I haven't seen the breakdown of that, but but a portion of it is. So in order to get that, you know, we are taking money from people paying taxes, living on a fixed income. You know, we are paying taxes. Uh, we're taking, you know, tax revenue that's being provided by, you know, people that are trying to raise, you know, three or four kids. You know, we are taking money from one person, from taxpayers, and we are giving it to somebody else. So there's nothing wrong with people having a little bit more money in their pocket. That That's a great thing. Heck, there's nothing wrong with people having a lot more money in their pocket. But that money has to come from somewhere. It's not Jack and the Beanstalk and Magic Beans. And I think that's what gets lost sometimes along the way. It's like, oh, well, let, let's raise the minimum wage to $15 an hour, even though the job's only worth 11 And by say worth, I mean that's how much you would have to pay in a free market to get somebody to do it. Okay, that 4 bucks an hour has to come from somewhere. It comes, and now we're talking about the private sector, but it comes from increased prices, that people are going to have to pay when they they go to the burger doodle and buy the burgers. It comes from, you know, less money that the owner of the business is going to have to reinvest in the business. I mean, it's got to come from somewhere. It's in some respects, it's it's a zero sum game. There's X amount of dollars that are out there, so it's not free money. If it was free money, well, that then let let's you know if if it's all free, let's everybody you know eat as much ice cream as we want and and not get fat. But that's not the way the reality works. So there's nothing wrong with giving people a little bit more money. The question becomes. Where is that money going to come from? And in this case, it's going to come out of the pockets of the taxpayers, and we're going to be paying at least some people a lot more, or at least a little more, than the job they are doing is worth, plus all the other benefits. This is Jeff Wagner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Today is Veterans Day. Kind of an interesting history of this 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 commemoration. A Veterans Day, actually, it goes back to, originally it was called Armistice Day, and today is the 100th 
anniversary of Armistice Day, which was the end of World War One, known at, at the time as the Great War. The armistice went into effect on the 11th hour of the 11th day of the 11th month, hence you know November 11th. Um, Congress proclaimed this to be Armistice Day, I believe, in 1926. Yeah, it was first officially marked in 1926, eight years after World War I ended. And the observance was called Armistice Day for years and years and years and years and years. 1954, President Eisenhower changed the name um, to be inclusive of all veterans, not just those who served in World War One. And so Armistice Day became Veterans, V-E-T-E-R-A-N-S. No apostrophe, just just Veterans Day um, in recognition of, of not just the folks who served in World War One, but the folks who served in World War Two and in the Korean War as well. Now, since then, and in contrast to, to Memorial Day, which is essentially designed to remember those who died in you know service to to the country veterans day is a recognition of people who living or dead who who served this country in the military and so that's kind of why we call it veterans day not armistice day it's november 11th is the day which and we celebrate it on the monday right around there but today happens to be monday november 11th all right it is somewhat of a tradition here in the 20 plus years that that I've been here that we do this on Memorial Day and we do it on Veterans Day as well and again with the idea that Veterans Day is broader but I I want to devote a couple segments of the program to you and to giving you the opportunity to say thank you to the veteran or veterans in in your life um, maybe maybe you served yourself and you want to recognize, I don't know, people that you served with. Maybe it's your, your dad. Maybe it's your mom. Maybe it's your, your brother. And again, this isn't people who are deceased. This is living or deceased veterans. 414-799-1620. That is the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If you would like to remember and say thank you, to that veteran in your life, this is your opportunity to do so. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I'll, I mean, I'll start it out. I was running, ran into somebody this morning who was on Steve's Graffiti Show who was, you know, served in the Korean War. Uh, my, my dad, you know, was a Korean War era veteran, didn't serve in Korea. He was in the Marines, never went overseas, but, you know, he served for a couple of years during that time. My dad passed away a few years back, but, you know, he, he never, never forgot his Marine Corps training. And like they say, there's, there, there's no, there's no former Marines. Once you're a Marine, you're always a Marine. Okay. 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If you would like to recognize and say thank you to a veteran in your life currently, or deceased, this is the opportunity to do so. 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We will try to get through um, a- as many of these recognitions as we possibly can. Like I say, we, we try to we try to set aside a segment or two of the program to do this um, on this day every year. Let's start with Dennis in West Allis. Dennis, you're first. Good afternoon. Hey, thanks for taking my call. Hi, Dennis. 
My son is a Marine uh, going on 16 years now, and uh, his name is Daniel Zevnik, and he, uh, in fact, just received another another promotion. Uh, he's a, a master gunnery sergeant now, and uh, I'm very, very proud of him. Mm-hmm. And, uh, how, how did you yeah. feel when he joined up? Well, it, it was shortly after 9-11. It was about a year after 9-11. And he came to me and he said, you know, Dad, I, I want to I wanna join the Marines. And I said, okay, here's the deal. And I know you, you kind of wanted my approval, and I said, I want you to do this for the right reasons. So you think about this and come back to me. And he came back a couple of days later. He said, Dad, I feel like I owe this to my country. I, I, I need to do something for my country to give back for everything I, I have for being here. Right. And I said, you know what? That's a good reason. I just mm-hmm. didn't want him to escape in because he wanted to pay for college. Or, right, right. You know, things like that. I I wanted to know that he was doing this for a good right. reason, like he told me. Dennis, I understand why you're very proud. Very proud. Yeah. <laughs> I do. Thanks. 414-799-1620, your chance to recognize publicly the veteran in your life. In Dennis's case, it was his son, Ryan in Elm Grove. Ryan, you're in WTMJ. Hey, good morning, or afternoon, Hi. rather. Hi, Ryan. <laughs> Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Hey, I wanted to call and, and thank you for doing this, for, uh, first of all. But I wanted to call and, and say thank you to my father-in-law who served in Vietnam. Uh, he's a great man. He's always taking care of his family, uh, taking care of us. He's a great grandfather to my children, mm-hmm. and I greatly appreciate him. But also, uh, I happen to be an employee of the city of Waukesha Police Department, and there's a large population of officers, command staff, and such that, that have served in, in many conflicts and, right. and are veterans. And I, w- I wanted to give a, a, a thanks to them as well. They're great guys. Absolutely outstanding. Thanks for the call, Ryan. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. It is Veterans Day. This is the opportunity we take to say thank you to people who have served our country, living and deceased, a little bit different than Memorial Day. This is your opportunity to do so publicly. 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Back with more of your calls in just a moment. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. It is, of course, Veterans Day. This is the 101st commemoration of Veterans Day. It started out as Armistice Day, originally designed to um, recognize people who fought in World War One. subsequently expanded for people who've served in the military period. And we're devoting a segment or two of the program to your ability to say thank you to that veteran in your life. 414-799-1620, Dave in Muskego. Hi, Dave. How you doing, sir? Real well, thank you, sir. Who would you like to recommend or remember? Well, I would like to say a lot of our family in the Navy and uh, Marine Corps brothers. My uh, brothers, both of them, and my dad was Navy. My uncle Al here is Navy, and my uh, my step uncle, if you want to call him that, uh, his dad was Army. So I want to say thank you to all of them, especially the folks that worked with us in uh, the SOFCAC units and the special warfare groups. Absolutely, a lot of Navy guys in your family. Definitely, yep. Between the CBs, uh, area officers, mates, uh, cybersecurity, special warfare, a lot of us, uh, uh, we dedicate it to the country. That's the bottom line. It is. Thank you for your call. I appreciate it. Uh, here's a text. Uh, Jeff, thanks for doing this. 
a salute to veterans on your show. I want to recognize my brother Darren for his service in the Marine Corps. I want to salute my brother-in-law Jimmy Mack and thank him for his service over Vietnam, over in Vietnam. And I want to remember my dad, Gene, who is now gone but served in the Army Air Corps in Hawaii, and his two brothers, George and Ray, who also served in the Strategic Air Command in World War II. I served in the U.S. Army back in the early 70s. Mike, thank you for your service. And on that note, I'm going to recognize um, both both my friends aren't with us anymore, but they were regular golf buddies of mine and my former law professor, Jim, and his friend and my friend, John, who were D-Day plus three. They were medics. D-Day plus three, D-Day plus five, and um, spent, you know, most of, you know, spent a better part of a year, you know, on the fields in Europe fighting for our freedom. 414-799-1620. Rick in Bayview. Rick, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi. Uh, my name is Rick Borkert, and uh, I'm a Vietnam vet, but I'd like to talk about a buddy of mine, childhood buddy, Sergeant Edward Ryan. Um I was home on leave with orders to return to uh, Fort Lewis, Washington, with, to go to Vietnam from that Air Force base there. And uh, I found out that Sergeant Eddie Ryan, that I grew up with, had passed away, stepped on a mine in Vietnam. So I attended his funeral while I was home with orders to return to Vietnam. Wow. And he was a, a very nice kid. I'm not grew up with went to school with and, and it was really broke my heart when I had to go to his funeral. Yeah. What uh what years were you over there, Rick? I uh sixty eight October sixty eight to October sixty nine. Okay. Got it. Thank you for your service and, and thank you for your call. Jane in Green Bay. Jane, you're in WTMJ. Hi. Hi um I'm calling my dad was in the World War Two, the Pacific Theater um, in Guam and Hawaii, and every time we were in church and they would recognize the veterans, my dad would stand up, and I remember just looking at my mom, and every single time throughout the years, she would cry. Mm-hmm. And and it was, you know, I don't know what they went through as a couple, you know, at that time, but it was it was just very emotional, and I just remember I remember her face, you know. Well, yeah, you know, and and again, it's it's one of those things. We we were talking earlier on the show about technology and things, and you know, World War II was was before we had the the easy long distance service and cell phones and computers. I mean, people who went overseas, you, you you'd write letters back and forth, and, and maybe yeah. you know, every four or five six months you got a letter, but otherwise you you just you weren't connected with people back here, and it, it's and it, it's not like we. And look, I understand being posted overseas right now is an incredible burden, but at least you have emails where you can communicate or Skype or things like that. World War II, you you just you didn't know from day to day what was going on in somebody's life. Oh, I know, I know. It, it, it was amazing hearing some of the stories and and the letters that my dad got from my mom. They right. were so precious to her. She had, she hung on to them all all her life. Yeah, that's that's and it. Same for my dad. 
Oh, right. It's just a, an amazing time. Thanks for calling. That, that's why they call it the greatest generation, which is in, in no way, shape, or form meant to diminish that the sacrifices and the contributions of people who served in the Vietnam War or the Korean War or Operation Iraqi Freedom or, you know, any anything else, or even, you know, when we, we haven't been involved in shooting wars. I mean, it's an incredible, it's, it's a service, and that's why we have Veterans Day to say thank you. Bob in Columbus. Bob, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. Thank you very much for taking my call. Yes, sir. I would like to honor my uncle Pete, Peter Combe. Um, served in Vietnam in, uh, I believe, 68 and 69. He passed away about 10 years ago from cancer. Um, huge influence with me. I was five years old when he got back, and everybody else was in school but little Bobby, and he'd pick me up in his 69 Corvette and take me to Port Washington <laughs> and all places in between. Oh, that's so, great. That's that's just that's just great, Bob. I I just I that's you know that that's the kind of thing, and those are the kind of memories that just don't don't go anywhere. Steve from Genesee. Steve, you're in WTMJ. Hey, good afternoon, Jeff. Yes, sir. Uh, so uh, honor my son Robert, who's uh, a Marine and now a police officer out in Watertown. Okay. And then my wife Lisa, who was in the Army. And uh, in memory of my brother-in-law, Frank, who was a Marine, and my dad, who was in the Army. So uh, uh, we honor them and all the other men and women. And when I worked out at Metal Tech in Waukesha, we did a lot of work for Raytheon and Lockheed. And uh, I'll tell you, it was they were that's where a lot of uh, they hired a lot of vets. So, mm-hmm. uh, did Did you serve yourself, Steve? You know, I, I didn't have not I didn't okay. have the privilege. Okay, got it. No, me 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 neither. I was just I was just wondering because with your son and your wife and everybody else, I was thinking maybe yeah. you were. I I wanted to make sure you got recognition too if you deserved it. Okay. Well, we uh, I think we're close in age. I graduated from John Marshall in '72, so. Right. That was a tough time. So. Right. No, absolutely. Yeah, I'm a, you're a little bit uh, older than I am, but yeah, it's, it's, uh, and I think we're both in a situation where lots of older brothers of friends of ours and stuff, you know, went, went over there and, um, in some cases, you know, didn't come back. No, thanks yeah, for going. It, no, it, you know, interesting. I bring this up. If, if you've ever gone to Washington, D.C., what you absolutely have to do is you have to go and see the 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 wall, the the Vietnam Memorial. It is one of the most moving experiences, and it, you you go to the Lincoln Monument, Lincoln Memorial, and then you just kind of take a right. You stand there and look at Abraham Lincoln, and then you go down this path, and, and the wall is there. It it's just I can't words cannot describe how moving this experience is, and the a, a smaller version of the wall is coming to the city of Waukesha sometime in May. As a matter of fact, I I just I agreed to kind of MC the 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 opening ceremony, and it might be the wrong word, but you know when when they 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 first open it up to the public, it's going to be sometime in May. But if you haven't seen the wall in Vietnam, don't miss your opportunity when a version of it, the moving wall, comes here. Joe in Mequon. Joe, you're on WTMJ. Hello, Jeff. How are you? I am well, thank you, sir. Who would you like to recognize? Well, kind of an extended family situation here, uh, covering three generations, and perhaps if I can point out the relative and also uh, where they were. Sure. Uh, my grandfather uh, was at the Second Battle of the Marne at Hughes Argonne. Father and uncles, D-Day, Battle of the Bulge, Okinawa, Tolu, and uh, my older brother Jim was in Vietnam. Right. Now, Joe, I think we've ta- you've you served yourself as well, correct? Yes, yes. My brother and I were in Vietnam at the same time. 
Mm. It was a rather traumatic situation for our parents. <laughs> but 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 you both you both came back okay. Yes, we did. That's it, Joe. Thank you so very much for your service. We we definitely appreciate it. There's no question yes. about it. And thank you for doing this. You bet. Um, okay, number. Let me just read some texts here before we we move on. Jeff, I want to thank um, my mom, Irene Muller or Miller, who served along with all of her brothers in World War II. She passed away at the age of ninety six in twenty thirteen. Was always proud to have served. Uh, yes, Jeff, I would like to honor my grandfather, Sergeant Michael Fargo, Senior, U.S. Army, World War II. He was stationed in Atu, Alaska. Huh. Um, interesting. Uh, Jeff, I'd like to thank all the vets that continue to find ways to serve. Team Rubicon, Veterans Outreach, Wisconsin, Fisher House, and many other programs. No question about it. Jeff, I'd like to remember my father, Roy, for his D-Day service on Omaha Beach. I, 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 you know, I'm, we're doing a listener trip, uh, a river cruise to, to France, and, you know, one of the stops is Omaha Beach. I, I cannot, I cannot wait. I've never been there. Jeff, I'd like to remember my father, Roy, uh, Roy Holmes, for his D-Day service on Omaha Beach. I have one brother that served in Vietnam and one brother that served in Korea. And my son just served two tours in Afghanistan. Wow. Um, just, wow. Um, so, I, we... I, we're going to move on in the next segment, but I, I wanted to spend, in this case, about 30 minutes of the show. We, we do this on Memorial Day. We do it for Veterans Day as well, just a way for all of us to remember the people, the, the veterans in, in our life. I mean, there's just so many, I, so many of my friends, and you know who you are, who, you know, served our country during, you know, Vietnam and all the different things that, you know, you, you did so that we can enjoy the freedoms that we have and, Again, people in Korea, people in World War II, and again, more more modern vets as well. I mean, look, I appreciate that there is an incredible element of sacrifice. So, to all of you who you know gave gave of yourself so that we can enjoy the benefit of freedom, this is this is Veterans Day. This is your day, and it's a day for the rest of us to say thank you. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. I want to break character for a minute. Dur- during the last segment, one of our callers, Joe, called in. was talking about his, his father and his brother and stuff. Uh, Joe is a personal friend of mine. He's become a very close friend over the last couple of years. He didn't tell his story. Joe graduated from Northwestern University Business School. Um, could have He did go to law school, but, but could have gotten deferments. Didn't didn't have to go, um, and and he enlisted. He enlisted because he thought it was the right thing to do. Could have you know could have clearly gone to officers training school or something like that. He enlisted you know just as in you know basic you know infantry man. I am so I'm just so proud of him. Such a just a great guy and a great friend. And one of my other great friends is my buddy Mike, who did two tours of duty in Vietnam. He was one of the guys that went into the tunnels. Can you imagine? He went into the tunnels and uh, just a very very thank you on Veterans Day to to them. Let's talk to John in Genesee. John, you're in WTMJ. Yeah, thanks for taking my call. Yes, Jeff. sir. I would like to honor my uh, fraternity brother, Ron Niles, uh, who died in Vietnam in 1969. Oh, jeez. Uh, um. Ron was from uh, Mosinee, Wisconsin. Uh, he came down, uh, went to school at the uh, Milwaukee Area Technical College, which was called MIT at the time. Right. I was a fraternity brother uh, 
with him, and he got a job in Iowa at the highway department after he got his associate's degree, and then got drafted. Mm-hmm. And, uh, actually, he did go to officer training school uh, and went to Vietnam and died in 1969. John, thank you. Thanks so much for joining us, and I appreciate your your remembrance. That's There's so many stories like that, just so many stories. Barb in Greendale. Barb, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi. I want to honor three important men in my life. My father, who's 90, was in the Korean War. My uncle, who's deceased, was in World War II. And my wonderful son, who's Master Sergeant, um, active military in the Air Force. Mom, how did you feel when your son came and said he was joining the Air Force? Well, that was really interesting. I said to him, I forbid it. And he said, I'm of age. And I said, I don't care. Um, he's been deployed three times. Um, it does make it easier with, um, when I look at when my uncle was in World War II and my father, you know, if you got a letter every three months, it was great. Right. Um, my uncle, his father died. And before my uncle died, he said to us, can you find where my dad was buried? Because back in World War II, by the time he got off the aircraft carrier, his father's funeral was done and mm. had no idea. You know, he was a kid at the time. Right. Um, it makes it a little bit easy because you can keep in touch. But, but yeah. it also kind of, you look at, people don't understand that we're at war. And you think of everything that can happen. And it's it's difficult at times, but you pray that God protects them and that they are trained to do what they love to do. Mm-hmm. It sounds like you've come to you've come to terms with your son's decision. Um, I didn't have a choice. <laughs> it was. <laughs> right. I mean, he's been all over the world. He's he loves it. He loves what he does. He's an intelligence. He's right. good at it. And God bless him for keeping us safe. Barb, thanks for the call. I appreciate the perspective. Mark on the South Side. Mark here on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Thank you for all your thank yous. Yes, sir. Uh, I was Air Force, Black Ops, in the end of the war, Vietnam War. I have two kids in the Air Force, so they followed my path. One son is actually in Black Ops also. Um, And then my daughter works on B-2 bombers, and she's been deployed three times. Really? So she's in the in the Air Force then? Yes. Wow. Wow. How did you feel when your daughter enlisted? Proud. Proud. Cool. Uh, you know, Dad, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to follow my brother Jake. Um, I'm not going to get into black ops. So. Right. <laughs> right, exactly. Outstanding. Well, thanks for the call. I appreciate it, Mark. Let's talk to Chris in Milwaukee. Chris, you're on WTMJ. Hi, good afternoon. Hi, Chris. I'd like to honor, I have a lot. Um, my dad was in North Africa during World War II. One of his brothers was in the Air National, or the Army Air Corps, and flying bombers over Europe. Another one was at the um, Battle of the Bulge. Um, wow. Another uncle, my mother's brother, was in the Army Air Corps teaching um, basic aircraft um, flying skills. Another one was her, one of her brothers-in-law was in the Army Corps of Engineers and eventually helped build the Alcon Highway after World War II. Um, another one was called up in the uh, 32nd Division during the Cuban Missile Crisis. Two of my cousins were involved during Vietnam. My husband was in Vietnam, and now my son is in the Air National Guard. Wow. 
Yeah, you've got you've got a lot. <laughs> you've, you've got a lot of people to recognize. Outstanding. Thanks for the call. Let me see. We, we just a ton of text. I just people are. Let me try to read a couple. I want to honor my father, Harold Jershevsky, who was a POW for 32 months in the Philippines. He had his leg amputated in prison by American doctors with a machete and a saw and no anesthesia. Also want to honor my son, Nicholas, who joined the Army one year ago and is trying to get back to Fort Hood in spite of the weather. Uh, Jeff, um, I'd like to honor my dad, who's in the Army for 21 years, Korea and Vietnam, and my daughter in the Army National Guard um, as an MP. John, Jeff, John Tholman, my girlfriend's father, served in Vietnam. He went on the honor flight this past Saturday. He's an awesome man, um, also a retired Milwaukee police officer. Um, that is from Perry. Let's see, Jeff. I'd like to recognize my mother, Claire A. Nelson, my father, Duke Nelson, my brother, Mark Nelson, and my sister, Christina Nelson, as well as my older brother, Arthur Nelson, all for their service to this country. Um, Jeff, I would like to honor the most important veteran I know, Alexander Vinman. All right, th- one more call. Bill in Oshkosh. Bill, hello. Thanks for calling. Thank you, Jeff, for taking my call. Sure. I'd like to honor my oldest brother, who's 22 and a half years in the Navy. He served three tours of duty on the USS Enterprise, sitting right off the coast of Nam. Right. Uh, a lot of my classmates from the class of 66 and my kid brother. Yeah. Now, thank, thanks for the, thanks for the call and thanks for, you know, the, the, the perspective. I mean, it's just, it, okay. Again, it's Veterans Day. This is our time to say thank you to all our friends and our family members and, and just, you know, all the other veterans who have served over the years. And I understand today we've been spending a lot of time, like I say, talking about World War II and Vietnam and the Korean conflict and all. But but all the, the people maybe younger than me who, who've also been serving our country over the course of the last the last couple decades, the people who enlisted after 9-11, the people who are there today making this world a better and a safer place to all of you, um, we say thank you.